This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. How good a goal would Michael Elise have to score to celebrate? His Ward-Prowseian free kick rescues a point for Palace and halts Manchester United's nine-game winning run. There's the FA Cup. Let's not go overboard, but Willy Nonto is better than Paolo Di Canio. Two from him and two from the ever-so-elegant Patrick Bamford sees Leeds beat Cardiff. While Harvey Elliott's banger is enough to take Liverpool past Wolves, we are obliged to talk about pranksters, all in all an odd way to make a living, but each to their own. We'll cover John Yems and ask when does unconscious racism become conscious. We'll look ahead to some big games in the Premier League, Arsenal, Manchester United, and some at the bottom. You can judge our City Spurs preview as you'll be listening after that's happened, probably. There's some more transfer stuff, a Barry-based pod recommendation. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nader Manuaha, welcome. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you for finding time in your increasingly busy <laughs> broadcasting diary. Um, and you haven't forgotten us yet, so we're, we're honoured. Not yet, not yet, not yet, um, soon. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it will be. Uh, John Bruin, welcome. Thanks. Yeah, and I, I found uh, a time in my increasingly... Bro- no, I have no... Uh... <laughs> Somehow I was available. You're available every... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well done. What, what a relief. Uh, we booked you very early. Nick Ames, Hello. Hello, uh, Max. I've got all the time in the world for you. Oh, that's very kind of you. Uh, uh, Will Unwin, a colleague, says this is the. I think this is the best lineup I've ever seen. He says so. You know that's pressure on us. Uh, let's start at was Selhurst Park there, um, and and that free kick from Michael Alise. Um, Caponosity, friend of the pod, says, is that Alise free kick the best we've witnessed in a long time? The distance, the angle, the precision. It meant that Man United. Ended their nine-game winning run. Palace stayed 12, but it was, Nadim, it was a thing of joy. Yeah, so much joy, as you could see on his face after he did it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's how joyous it was. It was a, it was a very, very special free kick. I think we have seen one or two. And, you know, one I remember as well was the De Bruyne one against Leicester probably a few months ago. But it was a, it was a very, very special free kick and the timing of it, you know, in stoppage time and the like to just bring your team back in, into play. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. I always dreamt of being able to take a free kick like that. Somehow it never happened in, across 16 years, but it was very, very nice. Very, very, very nice indeed. And yeah, it'd be nice to see him celebrate a little bit. But is he not the same guy 
who had to describe his goal, was it a couple of years ago? Said, I'll oh, talk us through it. And he said, yeah, I received the ball. I got the ball, I kicked the ball into the goal. And then it was a goal. You know, some, something like that. <laughs> you, you know what I'm referencing? Have you not, Have you seen a video of it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's not wrong, is he? I mean, yeah, that it's, is... It's, yeah, but he just just had a bit of something to it maybe. But yeah, he's, he's clearly very good and very good at free kicks because they trusted him to, it, to do it. And lo and behold, uh, yeah, got his team the point in the end. John, I wonder psychologically how big going second, going above City even for a day would have been for Manchester United? Or is are we are they smart enough to take a step back and go, it's annoying, but this run has been ridiculous? I, I think um, you could see on the sidelines that Eric Ten Hag was nervous about his team's performance. It did feel like they were trying to rather edge over the line. I suppose when Oli says uh, free kick went in, you saw that, that look of resignation. Ten Hag looks as though, yeah, that was coming. Now, I don't suspect he thought anything quite as spectacular as that was coming. And uh, just by the way, uh, his non-celebration was so non-celebratory that I had a look on Wikipedia to see that he'd actually played for Man United as a youngster or something like that. But it appears not. <laughs> and, and just on that, I, I think I think the thing that, that Nadim is referring to, he scored the winner at West Ham, didn't he? And then was asked... Those questions, how did you do it? Yeah, ball came to me, uh, I hit it, it went in. Which I think is very old school values. It reminds me of watching the big match in in the 80s. Yeah, for Manchester United, well, that things were getting terribly giddy down over in M16 at Old Trafford. And I think this is uh, what we in the journalistic trade call a reality check. Uh, you saw that Manchester United aren't necessarily a purring perfect team. About their course didn't have the best debut. There are vulnerabilities. And against a team like Crystal Palace, who, you know, mid-table, but with such talent, such as Aha, such as Olisay, if you leave the back door open, uh, you're going to have problems. And just one thing to add, uh, probably the thing that uh, has caused the most uh, opprobrium is, of course, Casemiro picking up a booking for the Arsenal game. And there can't be more obvious bookings than that, really. I mean, he was lucky, perhaps, not to get uh, a red or the old orange card. Yeah, I wonder, Nick, like uh, Jamie Renner upon Sky afterwards said that kind of, that sort of changed the game. I don't know if the other players were thinking, oh, shit, we've lost him for the Arsenal game now. Or just it, that sort of started a bit of a change with Palace thought, oh, we can get something out of it. I think it did. I mean, you even saw saw Ten Hag on on the sideline shaking his head in the aftermath of, of that yellow, and you can bet that he was thinking of two games at once. Then he was thinking, "God, what have I got to do on Sunday when the drop off in quality, frankly, is probably greater than in arguably any position in the United squad?" And I've got a problem. And it definitely, Palace did get a bit of a second wind after that, didn't they? I thought. I thought Vieira's subs actually did well. I think it was Schlupp who was fouled for the free kick from Elise with a good bustling run. Um, Eze came on, controlled a few nice balls out of the air, a couple of good runs, caused some problems. IU as well. And United kind of kind of never got themselves out of a, out of sort of setting off their gear, did they? They, um, they? they were forced back in those latter moments by quite a bit of pace and movement and never really managed to just sort of get themselves out of it, get themselves up the pitch. And there was that shift in momentum. And look, Casemiro is a massive, massive miss now. Like we we talk about them dropping dropping two points ahead of a big game, but you look at that Arsenal midfield, of, I mean, maybe we'll come to it later, of like Shaka and Partey who are dominating games. You need Casemiro in there to have, I think, a chance. And now he's gone. So they've got a problem. Ten Hag sent Fred on 
and they were saying, oh, Fred needs to avoid a booking in this. And Fred did his best to get booked by the looks of things. So he obviously doesn't fancy playing at Arsenal midfield. <laughs> no. uh, Peter Wow has been in touch, which I really hope is your name. Superhero type name. Uh, does Nadem feel some sort of justice was gained with the VAR review on McTominay's penalty shout? <laughs> justice. Justice in life and football. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. Um, no, that, that penalty shout, I'll be honest. So I keep looking at it and depending on what the sort of like narration is around it, someone says, oh, it's definitely a penalty. All of a sudden I'm seeing that it's a penalty and someone said it's not. I'm like, oh no, I can't see that anymore. So I'm just being led so much. So I, it's tough. This is one of many tough decisions where you'll be adamant that, it's, that it looks like a pen depending on sort of your perception of it. I, um, I don't think it's, I think the, from the Derby game at the weekend, I basically split the football world in half. The ones who like read the law books and the ones who play the game. But that's fair enough because from their own perspectives, that's the way that it should be. Like people are adamant he was interfering, other, whereas referees, they almost seemed unanimous in saying it was definitely offside. But I'm like, well, okay, fair enough, whatever. But yeah, this one, I don't, I don't carry stuff off. I don't carry grudges. I'm not a show for Man City or anything <laughs> like that. Come on, Mike. Stop me trying to start this narrative. Hey, I was just quoting Peter. Wow. Interestingly, somebody, I forget who, sort of went on Twitter and showed lots of goals where someone holds their hands up is an offside position, but the ref, someone runs through and scores a goal and says, look, the media won't tell you about these completely different situations that are completely unlike the Rashford one where he's sort yeah. of shepherding, like he's curling, like he's yeah. running along with the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting. Like there's obviously been a lot of discourse about that goal at the weekend and, you know, it's, it's fair enough, but some people say get rid of VAR and the like. So let's get rid of VAR and leave the decisions to the referees instead of leaving them to the referees. Like, it's kind of going to be the same. You know what I mean? That's just the way it's going to be, unfortunately. Well, I suppose if they didn't have VAR, we'd never talk about decisions because like, as far as I can tell, we never talked no, about them. No, not once, not before. once. No, yeah. never. Clinton Morrison was on the international coverage and he actually just said, I don't know if it's a penalty. And I just found that really refreshing. He was like, <laughs> I don't know. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Ethan says, how disappointed was John that the arrival of Big Vout didn't lead to Ten Hag suddenly having a change in philosophy and deciding to get it launched. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? They seemed to want him to play like Anthony Martial does, and uh, that isn't going to work, unfortunately. It was a quiet debut. Actually, there were a couple of nice touches for a big man, so we must credit him with, with that. Uh, but it did look a quite an uncomfortable fit for Manchester United, but uh, needs must. Uh, I'm sure Eric Ten Hag... Is going to run him through a series of moves he wants him to make. And uh, one thing you would say about Ten Hag's the job he's done so far is he's improved a lot of players, um, though there may be a significant improvement to make there. I was incredibly disappointed when 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 uh, Rashford had um, was over, over a free kick in the first half that he ultimately put wide, I, I think, harmlessly, and when he opposed, and I thought, surely they're going to do some elaborate yeah, yeah, yeah. Holland-style, the Vekors thing, surely that's <laughs> why he's been brought here. And then, uh, I mean, yeah, Vekors just heads into the bolts and Rashford plants it wide. So you think, if he's not going to do that, then what's the point? This is not a slight on Wout Weghorst because he's obviously a very talented footballer. But when when um, Fernando scored and then they all did the huddle, then Weghorst sort of pulled Casemiro aside and said, listen, we need to do this, this and this. And I started thinking, God, it is funny, isn't it? At, at sort of this level of football that you do get like quite big gaps in ability and sort of, and I guess 
you know, like put your medals on the table type thing. I, I don't know, Nadem, does that, does that sort of exist, you know, that kind of hierarchy or during a game, if someone says you need to do that, you don't look at them and go, well, hang on, you're not as good as me. <laughs> so you can't tell me to do that. Because the advice from Valt Vekos might have been perfect, right? He might be a tactical genius. Yeah, it, it depends what somebody's saying and how they're saying it. You know what I mean? Like some people, they say things with all their chest and you're like, what are you talking about? Like just go sit in the corner somewhere. But but then there's the other side of it where it, it could be factually correct. And for Vegos, it's not like he's 18, 19 years of years of age. I think yeah. it'd be more weird if like Garnacho pulled into this pulled Casemiro to say, say, listen, you're doing too much. You just need to slow it down and give me the ball. And interestingly, I have seen youngsters who do try and talk like that, and they are hilarious because it's amazing how quickly they disappear. Let's just say that. Alex says this is the second mention of Jamie Redknapp. Important one. Did anyone else buy that Jamie Redknapp's trousers had a drawstring and not a belt? Where do we stand on the increasing casualization, John, of uh, TV pundits' um, fashion? Well, I'm very glad you spoke to me as the fashion expert, Max. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Music and fashion. Music is fashion. You know, that, all the culture. That, that's me, yeah, GQ. Hi. I didn't have an amazing choice in front of me, yeah. to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> GQ, I'm available. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, well, Jamie Redknapp has always been a trendsetter, hasn't he? I mean, he did bring the word literally to the English language, and uh, that's really taken off since. I'm going to take a guess and suggest that possibly the first person to wear that within the football community was Pep Guardiola. And the likes of Jamie have sat there, seen that, and thought, I'm having a bit of that. And uh, drawstrings in the studio? Practical, I suppose. Yeah. That is true. Although hard to once you you need a belt because you have all the the mic pack and the yeah. sound pack. You need you, you need a belt. It's absolutely critical a belt in sort of TV world. Interestingly, I I now have the uh, the sort of standard TV trainer that I am told to put on. And I, I, on a Europa League because I'm flying straight back to Melbourne on Europa League night. Sometimes wear my own shoes so I can make a speedier exit. But don't tell anybody that because. Not been found out. So what? So they're the, they're the black and white soles. Yeah, the, the, yeah, they're the kind of the thick soles. Yeah, the, the pundit threes. You know, the two thousand and twenty three edition. You know, that's that's the way it works. For some reason, we all end up just wearing the same thing, and it's uh, it's kind of ridiculous. But yeah, there we go. I actually bought a pair for a laugh. You know, I, I actually have a pair just to, just just as a to. Well, I never go out anyway. But if if I ever went out, to so just say, yeah, I'm a pundit these days. <laughs> um, uh, all right then um, uh, oh, uh, Man United's ownership is sort of, uh, plenty of discussions about that British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe's firm Ineos has officially stated interest in buying it um, born the son of a joiner in Failsworth in Greater Manchester he's a boyhood Man United fan one of the UK's richest men his personal wealth is estimated somewhere between 11 billion Forbes and 6 billion the Sunday Times quite a, quite a gulf in those two puts him 27th wealthiest person in the UK on the Sunday Times Rich List, his petrochemicals firm makes around fifty billion in annual sales, employs more than twenty six thousand people across twenty nine countries. I guess petro is petrochemicals. Where does that stand in the sort of gamut of things we can't be happy about? I don't know if they're good or bad. Petrochemicals. I'm not an expert, so let's just leave it and see if he gets it, and then talk about it. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, we'll do the FA Cup replays. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. 
Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Jay says... Uh, Nonto, I don't want to exaggerate. I'm viewing this very much through a Leeds United prism. But greatest Italian of all time? Question mark. Uh, Lee says, how much will Todd Bowley pay for Willie Nonto this window? Um, I mean, what a goal, Nick. It was absolutely... I had to rewind it about five times because it was so good. It was incredible. And he's had to do two things, hasn't he? He's had to um, just sort of judge the flight of the ball that is going to go over um, the defender who is not that far from him and be ready for it to get to him or, or not get to him. And then when the ball does get to him, he's got to do that sort of remarkable hitch kick that's, um, that just volleys it past the keeper from a really tight angle as well. It was an incredible bit of technique and improvisation as well. You've just got to have such a, such a clear picture in your head, I think, of how you're going to do it. Um, and I mean, in in terms of, of the boy himself, he's, he's a massive, massive talent, obviously. I think that's been known as he was coming through. And I think a lot of, I mean, Le- Leeds would call themselves a very big club, but a lot of very, very big clubs are, are going are to probably ultimately start looking at him. It's be very interesting to see what somebody does eventually try and chuck their way at him because I think the market for sort of young, wide, versatile, if you like, forwards has gone giddily out of control since the sort of Anthony and now Mudrick transfers and I think he's going to be probably one of the next ones who is sought after it was an absolutely I, I mean I, I I don't remember seeing a volley quite like that actually in terms of technique yeah it's different to the Decano one isn't it Nadim I mean it is it's it's the same scissor move but he's but it's coming from a different height and it's a different angle of a cross I mean I don't know which is technically more difficult but it is slightly different yeah, let's just play into recency bias. This is the greatest one that's ever been scored. Let's okay, why we double okay, down and fine. say that. I think that solves that problem. Um, when I first saw it, I wasn't even sure how he kicked it in because from the, that first angle, I know something's happened, but I don't know how it's worked. And then as you watch back and look at the different angles, I felt like it just got more and more impressive. I was like, oh, that's actually really, really, really good. And obviously it's not a bad way to start a game at home, get the crowd on your side. And can I just mention as well, one of my favorite comms guys is like Ali McCoyst. And someone described him the other day and he said the reason they like him is because he sounds like he's actually enjoying it. Mm. Well, the opposite of that was saying that game yesterday and in the one of the other games was in Lee Dixon because I don't know if he's enjoying it. Sounds a bit miserable. And he, the, the goal was scored. And he made a point about how like, oh, it's so early in the game. The goalkeeper barely even had his gloves on. He's got no chance of saving it because it's so early. So, so what do we do then within football? Is there like a 15-minute window where nobody should be allowed to do anything <laughs> because it's just so early? Like, Forget, forget the warm-ups, forget all that stuff. No, this is the first 15. Nothing's going to be possible at this stage. So just bide your time. But yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible finish, incredible start to that game. And he is really exciting. And when you look at the fact that he's literally 19 years of age, that who knows what the future sort of is going to be for him. But for now, it seems like he's very much enjoying playing for Leeds. So long may that continue from their perspective. Lee Dixon uh, is something of a son of Lauro, isn't he? Uh, where, where you've got that, uh, you know, slightly sardonic look at things. Nadine uh, will know the area. He's from Wilmslow, uh, which isn't too far from where I'm from. Uh, we're all quite 
sardonic where I'm from. Before the pod, we have to say, come on, John, raise it. Yeah, just cheer up, today, just like, cheer up, on. mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm taken aside by Casemiro and told to, to get on it, yeah. He's a nice bloke, Lee, um, but he, he has got this one. I've just been looking at Nonto's Wikipedia, um, and it says in here, Two weeks later, he scored a brace for Leeds in an FA Cup third-round replay against Cardiff at Ellen Road, a volley, brackets, better than De Canio's within the first minute. So I think, wow. um, so I think wow. open, open, open source internet, if that is still what we call it, has absolutely put any deltas uh, straight there. And actually, Nick, I mean, both Nantes' goals were brilliant. The second goal was a lovely move. I, I know that they're only playing Cardiff. Right? It's not necessarily going to be the same when they play Brentford at the weekend. But Patrick Bamford's two finishes were exquisite. He is a do you know some players you just love to what I love just watching the way he moves and and both finishes they're different and they are just they're dreamy yeah he's he's a lovely player Bamford and I think you're right about how he moves he's he sort of glides around he occupies people really well he he can score a great array of finishes he's he's had quite a lot of stick isn't he at times during his career which I I find it a bit harsh because I think he's the sort of player who, even if he's missed a couple, he'll still show up for the next one. You know, I don't, I don't think he hides on 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 a football pitch there. And I think if he'd have been been more available to Leeds, I, I think certainly last season, things might have gone even better for them. Um, no, fantastic player. Probably probably a notch short of the sort of quality for an international call up, but in terms of what he's able to do in front of goal and in, and in terms of, yeah, the way I think he just keeps showing up. I think he's a fantastic forward. Just need to keep him fit. Someone please fill me in here. What what was up with Rodrigo after he scored? Because he scored, tried to do the sort of like knee slide, but the pitch was a bit oh, dry, fell forward, yeah, yeah. went towards yeah. the crowd, got held off by stewards and then basically just pushed the steward over because he was so pumped up about the goal. Like, what am I missing there? Like, why why was he so angry? Because Maybe he really likes football. Hang on, you, you know, it may just really... You just no, criticised Lee Dixon for not being up for it. And now you're no. saying Rodrigo's too up for it. He's too up for it. Just what, find what the balance. What the hell do you, know do you want? I'll pull him to the side and let him know. Put medals out on the table, pull him to the side and say, listen, kid, this is what you need to do. But yeah, it was, it was weird because I thought this is like a very good, significant goal. And then he just, like a steward, just took it right in the chest, just went bang. I was like, oh, fair enough. We'll just go back to the halfway line, pretend it never happened then, sure. I suppose I suppose you've got the difference between an Olisay and a Ketz buyer. Yeah, as as a celebration, <laughs> and that was more you, on the Ketz buyer tip, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Listen, Jesse Marsh afterwards was quite interesting. Nick, there was a lot of swearing when he was sort of said, you know, someone had said that the players were against him, and he was just like, "This is bleeping, bleeping, bleep." Um, I don't know what he said because it was bleeped out. And I find I, I think it's really interesting that if you if you look at Leeds fans, for example, James Brown, uh, who you might know, sort of used to edit Loaded. It comes on Talksport a lot, and then I, you know, actually recently he's only come on when a Leeds legend has passed away. It's a horrible phone call that we keep making, uh, but he speaks brilliantly about the game. And actually, Leeds fans like him who go and watch every single minute are really not having Jesse Marsh. Whereas people like us who see twenty minutes of highlights or ten minutes of highlights are like, ah. Oh, Leeds are great. They're really exciting. I, I, I'd hate them to go down. There are lots of teams in that mix. I really want to stay up and I really like what Jesse Marsh is doing. So, so we are probably wrong, aren't we? We may well be. And I, I haven't seen them enough over 90 minutes to say that I'm not wrong. Um, I really like Jesse Marsh. I think he's very, very honest. I think he, he talks very engagingly. Um, it doesn't really hold back as we saw last night. Um, 
And I think maybe sometimes that gives your your more rabid or impressionable fans something to hold on to, something to bite on, give, gives the dog a bone in, in terms of comments to overanalyze or pick at or that kind of thing, especially after a few bad performances. Look, um, what, um, what I've seen seen of Leeds, they are trying to play in the way that Marsh likes, which is um, that quite structured, high-octane, Red Bull-style football, if you like, although I don't like to call it that. Um, and they've had a few problems with departures and injuries and, and that kind of thing. And you sort of feel that he hasn't quite built up the momentum he would want to in, um, since he's been there, definitely. They've been quite active in this transfer window already, which I think will be important for him. Um, but I think, I, I think harsh criticism would be over the top. I, I think there was always as well going to be a big shift for them after Bielsa left because Bielsa played and trained especially in such a specific way and he'd had a, um, the same core of players, really, give or take, for three or four years and worked them to the bone. And then you bring a new guy in and you have to reset after that. You have to reset. And Marsh has done that. I don't think they're in big relegation trouble. I think they'll be absolutely fine. And I think he definitely need, needs this season. I think I think they should give him a break, basically. That's what I'm saying. Oh, wow. You said it. Can't believe you said it. Um I think for me, I think you hit the nail on the head when talking about the fact that, say, some of us, we like Marsh as a person. So that makes us look favorably at what he's doing on the field. Whereas for others, when you think about the exact opposite, they could be doing something that like is just good. But it's easy to see the flaws when you don't like where it's coming from. And I, you know, as I say, I don't I don't mind him. I think some of the stuff that he's saying, the way he tries to sort of buy into the history and so on, it feels like a good trait to me. But then again, it's not my football club. But I do like the fact that there's potential for them to be a hard team to play against with the youth that they have and the sort of full speed nature in terms of how they do try and play. And unfortunately, it seems like every, well, most teams in the Premier League have like quite high expectations of their teams, but still not everybody can succeed. But I personally don't mind him. I do enjoy watching Leeds. Obviously, it's easier for me when I can walk away when the result doesn't matter. But yeah, it's the, it's the personality thing. And I think we do like his personality. So as a consequence, we probably like his team a bit more than say we would do if we didn't. Um, just one on Cardiff, John. Mark Hudson was let go before this game and he posted a really interesting video, a sweet video, like him telling his two boys, I think it's two, that, that he'd got the Cardiff job and how excited they were as a family. And you know, and, and then then the video of him saying that he'd lost the job and they were going to sort of pack up and go home. And, and Mike Calvin, who's been on the pod and written books and sort of understands the sort of humanity of football, made a really good point about... We know we spend a lot of time going. He's got to go. He's rubbish. This person, you know, is 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 talking nonsense or whatever. And we can be very critical. And actually, it, it was quite interesting to humanise what happens afterwards when someone gets sacked and or some you know someone or someone gets a job. I suppose I've never really seen that before. Uh, you know, and yeah, you do consider it, don't you? That what's it like being the uh, the son or daughter of of a manager that. Uh, well, maybe have to move around the country. Uh, now, uh, I know from my own personal experience, if you move around from house to house, as I did when I was pretty young, it can be quite disruptive. And also, um, what you also have is the sheer cutthroatery of, of football. Um, you know, Mark Hudson obviously set off with the best of intentions. It didn't go well for him. And then, um, and as Michael Calvin has written about at great length and very, and very eloquently, of course, he might not get back in, and that's the worry for managers. I couldn't produce the statistics right now, but it is you know your first job is of a manager is is quite a high rate that it's the only job they ever get, 
uh, and that would be the worry. Now, Mark Hudson's obviously a talented guy, um, but yeah, just to see those, those lads, and I suppose the nicest thing about them was the fact that they were still so supportive, and you know, he's still their hero. Yeah, it, it, it got to me that one, I have to say. Um, and I wish him all the best. Now, am I correct in saying that the replacement is Neil Warnock? Rumours of. Rumours of. Dean Whitehead took, took the game yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, now, I, I wonder uh, if Neil Warnock's children uh, are quite so... Uh, are they used to, uh, you know, the, the fact that I've been fired and then it's like, all oh, right, okay. You know, because Neil Warnock's had so many jobs, so many jobs that... Well, isn't he like 70? I mean, his kids are probably like... 48, aren't they? I mean, they probably don't mean they don't care. Come on, Max. Probably means they don't have to move house with him, does it? You never know. You never know. Beware assumption. I think he has uh, some younger children. Right, okay. Yeah, my my mate. Mick Jagger. Well, my my mate used to see Neil Warner at the the swimming bus with his young children, and this is going back about 15 years or so. Uh, So maybe they're a little bit older now. But anyway, if you are Neil Warner's children, are you used to this? So. there is this idea that okay, this is Mark Hudson. It's his first job. He's gone, mm. and then do you have to get used to that idea that uh, okay, this one didn't go well, and you move around clubs and um, say someone uh, someone I, I, I know a little bit, say Dean Holden, who is uh, manager of Charlton. He's moved around quite a lot, and you know if you're his family or or say Mike, uh, Michael Appleton, who just lost his job down at, at Blackpool, you know. Are you the kids? You have to get used to it. It's, it, it the, the family is not an aspect we consider. So, you know, flip it back to someone like Jesse Marsh, uh, who's actually moved from uh, Germany and is American. Well, imagine how it is for his children to hear, you know, Leeds fans saying, right, get out of our club. It, 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 we don't consider that side of it, do we? Even um, I, was, I was reading some comments from Antonio Conte yesterday saying, I'm uh, saying among, among the various various bullish comments about his his future at Spurs and that kind of thing saying how how difficult it is to this time have his wife and daughter back in Italy you know and okay Conti we think of a tough guy who's a not not unafraid of well not afraid of shooting from the hip that kind of thing these things do matter um on a on a championship note I we might get Warnock coming back to Cardiff. We sounds like also Mick McCarthy might be the new Blackpool manager. So they're really take, take, oh, taking taking wow. taking it back oh, to the yes. mid two thousands almost. I think in the second tier, uh, but that's just a side note. Actually, the, the the article David Heitner wrote it after what Conte said. You know, and also you know he's lost three really great mates like in a really short space of time. And these are parts, I guess, Nadim. They're parts of things we don't consider all the time because otherwise it'd be really hard to to do our jobs. You know, if we if we'd have to constantly caveat everything, like we don't know how things are at home with this player when he missed this chance or with this manager at this time. So there's a superficiality. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to underplay our role in life, but like there is a superficiality to all of the discourse around football because we we aren't spending the whole time existentially discover, discussing, you know, human beings. Yeah, that is, that's so true. And ultimately, like, it's very hard to always think about the other stuff which you never really see. You know, you, you'll see a manager or someone do a press conference or do an interview, then they'll play in a game and they'll talk about it afterwards. Like that's what we see on a week to week basis. So it's just, it's not, it's not real as such as it's similar to just watching sitcoms on TV or some documentary or whatever. You're getting caught up in the emotions of something that you visually see, but cannot feel. But then when you're on the other side of it, say as a player, as a manager, you do see that like some <clears throat> throughout my career, I think I had 16 managers of which Neil Warnock was one of them. 
I know some managers, when they were losing their jobs, you could see how broken they were because you knew it was like life-changing for them in terms of where they were going to have to go next. And then there are other managers who couldn't get out there quick enough. You know, everyone is ultimately different. And we've, it's also very similar with, um, well, it can be a bit similar with players. You know, ones who've made a big leap coming from somewhere, the ones who struggle to adapt to a new to a new environment. So if you can never get it right off the field, you'll never get it right on the field and so on. And there's a lot more that goes on within football, but nobody's really going to be asking the questions about like, well, how do you feel? How is this affecting you? And the Mark Hudson thing, you know, it is sad because I do know a few people that played with him, a few people who really support him, say he's such a great guy. I, I find it strange that it was filmed. I don't, I don't quite get that. But then in the same breath, it's probably a good thing for people to actually see it as a human side to that. And I always, I've always said, like, I don't want to be manager and so on and so forth. Well, like my family is the most important thing to me. And the only way to guarantee that I'm going to be staying where I'm staying is to not find it, be looking for work everywhere. Because that's one thing that happens for all these managers. They are literally looking everywhere. And there are some, as John was saying, like, you get one job and then get nothing. But then there are lots of other managers who get nothing, but they're always trying to find something everywhere. You know, we don't even see that side in terms of how saturated that sort of potential coaching managerial lark is. Because you think every year, think how many people are retiring and thinking, you know, I want to step into management when there's already so many managers like a Mick McCarthy, like a Neil Warnock who hang about as well. So it's tough and it's real. And I think sometimes when you think about football from the perspective of just like a job itself, as opposed to this incredible hobby, which we just get paid for, because it does have real consequences, whether you're taking your kids out of school to move to this place, trying to learn about that. And then before you know it, you're seeing people putting a microphone in your face saying, well, it seems like you should be losing your job now. What, what say you otherwise, you know, and then next thing your life changes again. Paul says, will the FA Cup become known as the Cup of Screams rather than the Cup of Dreams when live on the BBC? Look, we'll, we'll get on to uh, that. Uh, Liverpool beat Wolves 1-0 at Molyneux. Uh, Harvey Elliott's goal was absolutely brilliant. I mean, the defenders, John, do back off. Everyone backs off. But I sort of feel that's fair enough, given Harvey Elliott doesn't do that very often. And and it was just a wonder. It was a wonderful goal to win a football match. I, I was at Brighton at the weekend and... Uh... Harvey Elliott made a terrible mess of a shot, much closer to goal. So uh, maybe that was in mind. But yeah, great goal. Uh, Harvey Elliott is featured in every Liverpool game this season, I was told the other day. Uh, and, and I was was going to reserve that, but then they repeated that fact on the on the actual broadcast. So yeah, anyway, that is what happens. But having said that, he's not always impressed the fans, I would suggest. But he's a hard-working player, very talented, small for a player you would say, wouldn't you? I was trying to think of Liverpool players that he reminded me of, uh, and I'm just about old enough to remember uh, little Sammy Lee barrelling around the uh, the Liverpool team, and I'd suggest he's probably got a bit more pace than Sammy Lee, but uh, perhaps less bite. I'm going to say it, this game didn't really grab me, and I did watch all of it. I felt that Wolves just could not get into it, or could not create a threat to Liverpool. Uh, and create a threat against Liverpool is something that so many teams have done this season. But, of course, it was Jurgen Klopp shifting the team around, making a few changes uh, and getting through that FA Cup tie and buying a bit of breathing space because earlier in the week, uh, things were getting quite anxious up at Anfield, weren't they, about Klopp? But I think that's a, quite an important win. You wouldn't call it a statement win, but uh, breathing space. There's an interesting thing, Nick, about Liverpool squad, which is... They sort of don't have. They've got lots of youngsters and lots of old people, and they've got no. You know, they they they're sort of the demographic of their squad is a bit odd: pensioners and children, and no adults. 
Yeah, you've not got that sort of core of sort of 24, 25, 26 year olds maybe to to rely on, have you? And I think I mean, I mean, that's the problem when you're sort of trying to phase out, if you like, an, an older generation and bring in when you guys, you look at who started in, in the front three the other day, I think off the top of my head, it was Cavallio, Gakpo and Elliot. And um, I, I mean, Gakpo is the senior member there, isn't he? Because and he's what, 23 years old and just come from Holland. And then the guys on the bench who could come on a Salah, Oxlade Chamberlain, I, I don't think Firmino or, or Nunes or anyone like that was on, on the bench, were they? So you got a lot of sort of much more experienced heads. And then, yeah, the younger or newer to the Premier League generation. And and it does mean that unless Liverpool really splurge out a lot of money in, in the transfer market over the next year or so on those mid-range, well, mid-age players, I think fans are going to have to be quite patient because I think what we are seeing now, whether it's advertently or not, is a, re- is a refresh and a rebuild at, um, at Liverpool. It certainly seems to be going that way. I don't think you're going to get your Fabio Cavallios coming in and, and necessarily shining week in, week out straight away. It could take a year or so. It could take a year or two now, wherever people will give Klopp or Liverpool um, the time for that and wherever they will go for sticking plasters instead this summer, even this month, remains to be seen. But I think we're definitely in that sort of generational change moment that that can take a while. Ellis says, uh, which guest is most likely to accidentally play the porn noise on a pod? I didn't know, um, maybe it's the, you know, the company that I keep, that, that this was kind of a, like a very, it's in lots of WhatsApp groups that people send you this noise and you're meant to open it on a busy train or, you know, when you're like you know, at school pickup and then just be very embarrassed. Um, obviously, this uh, this this prankster called uh, Jarvo69 decided to tape a mobile phone to the the back of the set. I can't I can't help thinking, Nathan, that maybe I and I wasn't watching it live at the time that I probably would have found it funny just because something's going wrong on television. And then when I found it's kind of a professional prankster. I sort of think, or maybe again, I'm 43, so I'm just not into professional pranksters like perhaps I was 20 years ago. But I just sort of think, oh, come on, come on, don't call yourself Jarvo 69. I mean, like you know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of subtlety about. Yeah, it's it's what for me, it's one of those things where you know the the sheer shock of the fact that something going wrong on TV is happening is is huge. But then the second time it won't be funny, like to anyone. You know what I mean? Like he's he's had his moment now, and it caught a lot of people off guard in the same way that sound does in all the WhatsApp groups that people are in, because I'm in a few of those really feral groups to the point where now if somebody sends in a video or a voice note, I put an earphone in because I, there's no way I'm playing anything are out loud. Are you keeping the right company or is that just no, a no, I'm, of I'm a, I'm a member of No, I'm a member of certain groups, but like I'm not really an active member, but I'm there. Right, you know okay. what I mean? I'm there. Right, okay. So I, understand. I, don't, I don't say, I don't say too much. I don't send too much. And this is for reasons like that, because it's just, yeah, it's wild. But anyway. Yeah. I think they did it really well, actually. I think, I thought Lineker and the rest of them were actually real pro. Oh, they did, yeah, yeah. Do you have to ask one more question on Jurgen Klopp, which is from Craig's. There's no offence to Nader, but has he ever played football, which <laughs> is regards to when you're on ESPN and you asked Jurgen Klopp a question <laughs> and he did say, I don't know if this man's ever played football, which was a brilliant moment. Yeah, it was. And it was my first, it was my first like flash interview thing for ESPN. Usually there's a host that does it. And all of a sudden here I am standing across from someone who's like so significant in terms of Premier League history and just European football. And I'm asking him the questions and I had a couple more questions to go. And he asked, and he mentioned something about like players not winning challenges. So I had a rough idea what that meant, but I wanted to try and get it further. So I asked him that. 
And then he said the, don't know if you've played football thing. And, you know, I thought, <laughs> realistically, I thought it's great content as he said it. But one thing which I wasn't going to do was turn into that guy that's basically saying, like, do you not know who I am? To Jurgen Klopp, you know that's really, really weird. But then I saw him again because he probably he probably doesn't like. Oh, exactly, you know. exactly. So yeah. I went. So then when we did the replay, uh, I did the replay the other day. I had to interview him again, and the press officer was apologizing, and Jurgen Klopp was apologizing as well. And I was like, "Listen, you don't need to apologize to me, Jurgen." And he's like, "But you don't know my career." Well, it turns out I do because on the show that was on, they showed his career, and we did a side by side, and I played more games in a high level, but he won one trophy, so he's technically had a better career than I have had. Uh, well, well done to Birmingham, West Brom, uh, Bristol City and Luton also through um, uh, FA Cup fixtures will be played next weekend. And that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll look ahead to the Premier League games in just a second. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so look, Man City play Spurs tonight. Conte briefly mentioned him. We don't need to talk a lot about this game because most people listening um, won't have, you know, that game will have been done by the time they're listening to this. But it's interesting, Nick, Conte talking about in Italy, he said before every game is a person from the club who has to go before the media and answer every question. For us, it could really be, be really better. Otherwise, every time there's only one face to explain the situation, uh, which is better for the club to explain. I check with Nicky. What he's saying is sometimes the physio comes in or the, you know, one of the owners or something comes in. And Nicky said, this does happen in Italy. You actually hear much more from other people at the club. It does feel like he is complaining a lot about everything. And and as Nicky and I said on the on our WhatsApps, she was like, look, you know, he normally wins something and complains a lot. And I was like, this will be the first time he just doesn't win something and complains a lot. Yeah, he's doing quite a lot of complaining and he's he's amping it up, isn't he? I, I think he says something, he gave some sort of bailed warning that clubs end up doing worse after he's left them as well, which, um, I mean, would remain to be seen at Spurs at the moment. I, I do think he's got a point on that. Um, to be honest, on, on, on the fact that managers are expected to be the front man for absolutely everything. For example, I, I cover Arsenal quite a lot. And I, I remember in Wenger's day, you could get away with chucking absolutely anything at him, whether it was the 
the ownership or, or a wider issue in, in football or some something totally unrelated off the pitch. And because he was such a sort of statesman and such a bright guy and such a sort of person who thought beyond football and almost sort of ran the club single-handedly, he could he could give you that answer on pretty much anything. And then the tail off when he got Unai Emery in afterwards. And certainly at the start, Arteta was absolutely stark and it's very hard to sort of ask Arteta question after question about footballers' wage cuts during COVID, for example, and why the board's made that decision. You can go on and on. So I do agree generally, uh, you know, as as a journalist, that a lot of the time you do feel our questions could be better directed to somebody who is actually qualified to answer them and is actually involved head-on with the business, for example, or that kind of thing, or with the sort of club's longer-term vision and strategy, of which the manager might only be a part for one or two years, you know. So I get that from Conti, I do. I, I think it'd be very helpful to everybody, both in the game itself and in the media. Um, it is all getting to him a bit, though, isn't it? And he doesn't need, need a result. I think both them and City um, need a result pretty badly in, in this game tonight. I think only one of the teams is likely to get it. Um, City really need need to win this game because we're starting to look at a bit of a procession for Arsenal at the moment, which I think none of us would have said three or four months ago. Yeah, there's no part of me, Nadem, that thinks Spurs will get anything from this game. Interestingly, I think Spurs won there last year and I think they did a double over City last year as well. It's one of those really weird fixtures from a sort of Man City perspective where there have been tons of times where City have played well, but they just don't get anything against Spurs for some reason. So it's a... You know, it's that whole idea of a, like a bogey team as such. And it's weird because it doesn't really matter what sort of state Spurs are in league-wise, but they just seem to just get that outcome. But um, I'm personally not rooting for Spurs today. You make of that whatever you will from the other perspective, but I'm definitely not rooting for them. But yeah, they'll be, they're fine. Like, obviously both teams do need a result, it feels like. And this Arsenal possession, I think we probably don't, well, maybe it's just me projecting, but I don't think we, there's enough in the, the circles that I'm in. They don't talk enough about how good Arsenal have been. It's because they're WhatsApping sex noises to you. Well, yeah, that's it, that part, yeah. Like on the weekend when United beat City and said United are part of a title race, like it kept forgetting the fact that Arsenal was still top and they had a game in hand and then they'll play United the week after. And I was thinking United are in the title race if Arsenal let them be in the title race because then Arsenal went and won. So the gap went to like nine points. And if Arsenal beat United this coming weekend, then it's 12. Like, it's it's in the space of seven days we talk about a potential title race. All of a sudden, it's like Arsenal just doing what they do. But yeah, I think for the game today, I think it's it's tough to see City losing back-to-back games, but it's not impossible. And to decide that they would probably the fans would have wanted to see arrive at the Etihad at least is probably Spurs. So, I don't know. It'll be an interesting game, and I'm sure someone, one of the two managers after the game will be positively furious and just like, just having to go massively every reporter asks them a stupid question about like, well, what does this mean for your title challenge? How about that? Arsenal Manchester United is the big game of the weekend. You obviously cover Arsenal. And I just wonder if, if there's anything that, because we've talked about them a lot and I, Nathan was alluding to that, that we're not really, probably not giving them the credit they still deserve, they deserve at this stage. It is, it is remarkable that they are this far clear in the Premier League when nobody really had them anywhere higher than fourth probably this year. I was, I was, I was watching the Palace game last night and thinking during it, what would it take for United to actually be genuine, credible title challengers? A bit like Ned and was just saying, are, are they really, or is it just, just a week-long sort of fancy? And I think the thing with Arsenal now is that 
even if they don't win a game, Mikel Arteta knows what performance he is going to get from that team week in, week out. It is pretty much the same performance. And I say that in the most positive way possible. He, he is extracting maximum consistency. Everyone knows their job. Everyone um, knows um, knows how to do it. They've managed to slightly hardwire now um, um, that reaction to adversity now where they don't panic so much if, um, if they concede or, or if they haven't scored in one of their incredible fast starts, by the way. But, um, the way they start a game these days is like almost nothing I've seen, the way they blow into teams in, in the first 10 minutes. And it's that consistency and that rhythm that they have got that no other team not Man City, not anyone has got. And I think it is so important. And they've gone through a whole season just, I think, performing at this incredibly high but incredibly consistent level. And maybe it's that consistency. Maybe it is the fact that we're sort of seeing the same sort of eight and a half out of ten performance every week. Maybe that's why they're not getting such credit because there's not so many oscillating high and lows. I don't know. But just the level is so remarkably consistent. And I know that even if they lose to United, which could happen, we know what players United have got on Sunday, we will see the sort of level that we've seen from them since August. And I, I think it's a remarkable thing, to be honest. A couple of six-pointers at the bottom. Well, obviously, you've got ninth, three, tenth, Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, then Bournemouth Forest is huge. West Ham Everton is, is huge. Fracker says, will West Ham fans be cheering on Everton? And Everton fans cheering on West Ham on Saturday? Who will David Moyes be supporting? By all accounts, Moyes might lose his joy if they don't get something. That's a massive game, John, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah, and it, it's been it's been coming up o- over the hill for a while. Um, yeah, this talk that it's over. Um, that I suppose if you if you David Moyes and you wanted uh, your job to depend on one game, then possibly Everton at the moment might be the one uh, that you you take. I feel uncomfortable with the fact that David Moyes is going to be ushered out the door at West Ham because I think he's done a good job, but then I remember that clubs do sack managers for being not very good halfway through the season, which does happen. So uh, it does feel like uh, he's offered a lot of, um, not excuses, but uh, a lot of the time he's just said, well, yeah, we've not been ready for this game or uh, this player didn't work out. or yeah, It's just not happened for them. And actually, look at the signings they brought in. Skimaka, Paqueta, um, Kera, those three are signings that haven't worked out. And I suppose one of the issues with David Moyes is that Often it takes quite a while for signings to bed in time that West Ham don't have. Yeah, on the Everton front, we sort of alluded to it on on Monday, but Merseyside Police have said they did not receive reports of the threats that kept Everton's board of directors away from Goodison Park on Saturday. Uh, We can confirm Merseyside Police is liaising with Everton Football Club following alleged threats towards directors ahead of the game against Southampton. No threats or incidents were reported to police prior to the game. Uh, we're in communication with the club to establish if any offences have taken place and to ensure that any future reports are received through existing channels. Any threats reported would be assessed and investigated as a matter of course, any appropriate safety measures implemented. It's a very weird story and we will wait until we get to the bottom of it before we uh, talk about it. Uh, Sam says, following up on yesterday's pod, surely Brendan Rogers is the most likely Premier League manager to be on LinkedIn. The man is the embodiment of blue sky synergized thinking out of the box. It's a very good point. Well, I, I should I should be there to see him uh, perform his uh, motivational genius um, against Brighton, uh, a team I've seen quite a lot of recently who are very very good. Now, Deserby uh, is a is a good um, touchline performer. Up against Jurgen Klopp last week and up against uh, Arteta the week before that, uh, I think we've got a new kid on the block here. He really does 
show his emotions, uh, puts on a show for all of us that can see that. He's a, he's an advocate of the uh, the trainer shoe, uh, whereas Brendan likes to keep it suited and booted. Um, yeah, Leicester on a bit of a slide, and again, would you want to play Brighton at this point? No, because they're they're really very good. Uh, well, we'll look back at all the games in the Premier League on Monday. Eric says, at what point does unconscious racism become conscious? Asking for a friend at the FA. This is John Yems, uh, who was the Crawley manager. Um, an independent regulatory commission chose this month to suspend Yems from the game until the 1st of June 2024 for 12 breaches of anti-discrimination rules. He admitted to one charge, was found guilty of 11 others relating to comments that referenced either ethnic origin, colour, race, nationality, religion, belief or gender between 2019 and 2022. In explaining the sanction, the FA authorised panel said they'd opted for a shorter punishment because they did not believe Yems was being deliberately racist. Kick it out, said the discriminatory language outlined outlined in the FA Independent Panel Report is simply shocking. Uh, given the seriousness of the incidents detailed, it's very hard to understand how the FA Independent Panel have concluded that Mr. Yems is not a conscious racist. We do not share that viewpoint. The behaviour outlined in the report must be called out for exactly what it is, racism and Islamophobia. To speak plainly, a 15-month ban, given the severity of the 11 proven charges, is a slap in the face to the victims of the discriminatory abuse detailed in the sport and anyone who's been subject to racism or Islamophobia. Yem's lawyer described his client to the commission as someone who did not speak in a politically correct manner. The FA stressed it fundamentally disagreed with the panel's findings, um, reiterating the governing body's push for a lengthier sanction. FA Chief Executive Mark Bulliam said, we've been clear we're unhappy with the sanction and some of the elements of the judgments that we're looking into our legal options now. Based on the evidence presented to the Commission, we fundamentally disagree with the independent panel's finding that this was not a case of conscious racism. It's interesting, Nadem, that when this verdict came out, a lot of people went two-footed into the FA, which kind of makes sense. But it's important to draw a line between the independent commission and the FA, although you need to know who was on the independent panel, who chose that panel, um, what the link between the panel and the FA is, and, and, and sort of how they came to this judgment we haven't read out the things he said lots of people will have found them they're pr- they're incredibly grim and and it's impossible to to hear all of them together and think that is a lot more than someone just saying oh you can't you can't say anything these days yeah I, yeah I'd, I'd recommend that for anyone that's not seen the words if you i think it's worth looking at them because there's a there's a lot you know what i mean there's a lot and the tone of it as well and I, I, I really struggle because I don't understand how you come to a decision that it wasn't conscious racism when there's so much like nuance in terms of what he was saying in, with that language. And like, how, how do you prove that it, it wasn't conscious? Because he's had the idea in his mind, as he said, basically, I've just lived in a box and not seen anything. And I don't know that anything's going on. I, I genuinely do not understand it. And I think the fact that you, you're appearing to sort of be almost defending somebody, or you know, he didn't mean it, it's not conscious and so on. Like it's, it's ridiculous. It feel it feels absolutely ridiculous to me. And the FA appealing it and so on. I think there's serious questions that need to be asked about, as you've mentioned there, the creation of the panel. And I think there needs to be more sort of clarity about how the panel came to that decision. Because maybe if they have to explain it out in the open, they might realize how ridiculous it potentially all is. Because if they're adamant that this is the best method in terms of dealing with this situation, it feels to me like they're they're very wrong. And like I say, if people haven't seen what he said, it's definitely worth looking into. Because a lot of that stuff there is like particularly toxic, yet still he thought it's just a normal thing to say. And it's just, it's, it's stupid. And for me, I'd, I'd ban him for life, but maybe that's just my opinion. Mm. I mean, it seems unlikely that he would get a job in football again, John. 
I mean, you can't imagine anybody would re, re, rehire him. Conscious or unconscious racism, the stuff that I've read, uh, it's racism 100% all the way. Uh, you would have to be crazy to employ this guy. Crawley is a club with several problems, as we know. This story is shocking, really. And um, for that that verdict to come out, uh, it didn't make any sense to me. Do, do you know, we, we, we might as well just read out a few of the things because you know we're talking about the story and it's you know if, if this is the first time you've heard the story it is worth hearing these things so so um he used a racial slur to describe someone some of the club's black players and deliberately mispronounced the name arnold schwarzenegger to make it sound like a racially offensive term um he used a racial stereotype to two black players who were playing darts repeated a racial slur made gestures as if using a blowpipe uh, one player feigned illness in, void, in order to avoid Yem's banter about eating curry. A Muslim player became the subject of jokes about being a terrorist. He was asked if he slept with a gun and if he carried a bomb in his bag. He used a racial stereotype to a black player of African origin by asking if he liked jerk chicken, um, a, a dish associated with the Caribbean anyway. Uh, another player returning from international duty was told he should not train with the squad. Yem, Yem's commented on his colour then put his hand over his mouth saying he should not say that. It's all... It's all it's just incredibly depressing. But they are the things that he said. And that independent commission came with the back with the fact that he was not consciously racist. If and when we hear about the appeal from the FA and what happens, we'll, of course, bring it to you. But it's a really depressing story. Um, and I, I don't disagree with you, Nadim. I don't think there is a place in football for people who uh, talk like that. Um, uh, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Um, if you have missed Barry this week, uh, can I direct you? I don't know if any of you have listened to Barry on... Uh, the Moon Underwater podcast um, hosted by John Robbins and Robin Allender. Uh, the idea for the pod is for a guest to build their ideal pub. Um, I'm, I'm saying nothing about this being the ideal fit for Barry, <laughs> um, but it is a really lovely and actually quite moving couple of hours. And uh, yeah, John got more out of Barry in two hours than I have in a decade, but you know, um, well done, John. It's a lovely listen. It's called The Moon Underwater, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, uh, but for the time being, uh, thank you, John. Cheers, Max. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Nadam. Thank you very much. Our Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. We will leave you with uh, one of uh, Liam McClare's loops, uh, this time of Philippe Clare. There's the rhythm and there's the beat. There's the rhythm and then there's the beat, 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 This is The Guardian.